Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Um, good morning and welcome to The Vessel. My name is Jake Toman. if I don't know you, and I have the joy and fun as serving as a lead pastor here. Uh, thank you guys for being here this morning. We've been in a series for several weeks now called Dear Church, and um, it has been kind of a journey through different letters in the New Testament. If you know anything about the New Testament, you will know that the majority of the New Testament, the books in the New Testament, are letters that are written from people to either individuals or groups of people. And so uh, kind of our heart for the past, this past spring and into the summer and even into next fall has been to look at several of these different letters. And so we have been um, in this journey through, and this is actually wrong because we have been, in five weeks, we've been in First Thessalonians and it's this, church, this letter from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And beginning today, we're gonna look at Second Thessalonians and Paul's second letter to this church. And so in a way for us to kind of grasp this idea of letters and what they are, one thing that we've been doing the last kind of several weeks that we've been going through this is looking at letters in general and why letters matter and why it, it matters that we understand that these are letters. And so uh, we've read several different letters during the course of this journey. And the very first week I read this love letter that I wrote to Shay back in 2005. And it was written, our email, it was an email, which is still a letter. But I emailed it to her the day after I proposed to her and just told her how in love I was with her and how I hoped her dad wouldn't hate me. And so I wrote her this letter, and then we've read several different letters through that journey. And so today, I am going to read a follow-up to this love letter that I read to Shay. So you can put it up there, Lindsay. This was a card that I got for Shay. Forgive my handwriting. I was like 24, and I was in love. So uh, forgive it. And so this is a card that I got for Shay for Valentine's Day back in 2006. This was right before we were married, and I bought her a 99-cent 99 cent Valentine's Day card, uh, and I mailed it to her uh, and gave it to her for Valentine's Day. And so Shay and I actually started dating on Valentine's Day. So if you're young and uh, single in this room, that's not a great idea. Just wait. But to be honest, uh, Shay is not the uh, most sappiest person in the world. So Valentine's Day for us isn't a big day. So I want to read this to you, and I want you to just think about what is in a letter and why they matter. And um, I'll read it to you, and I'll explain a little bit, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Uh, Shay, sorry this card is so cheesy. Uh, on the front, you can't see this uh, through church at home. But it says, it has a dog in a window. It says, I love you more today than yesterday, dot, dot, dot. And yesterday I was crazy about you, which is true. So sorry for the, the, this card. It's so cheesy. And I don't know if you spell cheesy with a Z or an S. That could be incorrect. But it was, it was the best one that was only 99 cents. So again, if you're young and, and single and you want a girl to fall in love with you, don't worry about the price of a card. Shay, the past year has been so crazy and so great. It seems like yesterday that I was driving to Fort Worth to see you on Valentine's. Only bad thing is, is that there is extra pressure on me for Valentine's Day because it is also when we started dating. 
You have been so amazing this past couple of months getting ready for this wedding, and I'm sorry that I haven't been a bigger help, which I don't know if that was um, good or bad. I don't remember anything about that time. It says, God has blessed me with someone beyond what I could ever have dreamed of or deserve. I can't underline believe that in a month from now we will be married. I promise that I will love you unconditionally to the day I die. God has amazing things planned for us, Jake. And a lot in this letter and this card has proven to be true. And so Shay's not here today to verify that. But it's been an amazing journey with she and I. We've been married for 15 years. And one thing, and the reason I chose this letter today to read to you is this is a follow-up letter. That, that the last time that I read a letter between she and I, it was right after we had gotten engaged. This is about a year later, and this is about a month before we're married. And so if you can think about what happens in that year, if you can remember back to when you were engaged or however long that was ago, and think about that time before your marriage, you know all the things that go into it. The picking of the flowers, uh, the invitations, the whatever, all the decisions you make. And if you're a husband in this room, you can probably relate to that line that says, um, I'm sorry that I haven't been a bigger help, as we can all relate to that. But you think about all the things that, that can happen in a year and to self-reflect and be like, man, look at what's happened in the past year. And we can even think about that in 2021. This is an easy year for us to reflect back on and to think back of like, gosh, where we were a year ago today and how we've grown or how we've struggled, or how we've changed, or the difficulties that we've gone through, or the things that we've experienced together, and what a process in a year's time looks like. And to be honest, that's the same thing that's happening to this church in Thessalonica. And so as we look at this second letter that Paul writes to this church, if you remember, the uh, First Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote um, out of all, of all of his epistles. And 2 Thessalonians is probably the second letter that he wrote. And it comes about a year after the first letter. So there's been this relationship between Paul, this missionary that went and planted this church in Thessalonica. Um, he sent Timothy to go check on them. He wasn't sure whether their faith really took root. He re Timothy reports back to them that there's, there's a thriving and healthy church that's there. And then Paul sends the first letter. And so undoubtedly, Paul has gotten a response from this church in Thessalonica that we don't see. So this is like reading an email chain where you don't get all the replies. And so Paul's received a response from this church. And you're going to see as we go through the next three weeks today, next Sunday, uh, one of our elders, Joe Ho, is going to teach. And then the final week as we wrap up on Memorial Day, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, you're gonna see that there's more response in this letter than in the first letter. The first letter was a lot of encouragement. He was encouraging them of their faith to keep strong, to grow in their faith, to love one another well, to not lose heart, to not be discouraged, to persevere, to push through persecution. And it's a lot of encouragement. And while there's theology, while there's a lot of, there's theology in the first letter, it's mostly encouragement. And so in the second letter, um, there he's answering some of their questions. And there's much more theology in this second letter as Paul writes to them about specific things. And so I want you to consider wh what that looks like. And I think for us as a church, and if you're new here at the Vessel, we're about two years old. Actually, we're, we're two weekends shy of two, two years old. On the first weekend in June will be our second birthday. And so 
um, as a church, we can look at how things change and how we grow and how we evolve and what the Lord does in such a short amount of time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this. I'm going to read all the way through chapter one. It's the beginning of this letter. And so what I'd love for you to do as I read over this, I'm going to read through it and I'm going to pray. But I'd love for you to stand if you're able to stand. And I just want to read this over us. And so if you want to have your Bible and look along, we're not going to have the lyrics, I mean the lyrics, the scripture up here, but I'll read nice and slow. So Second Thessalonians chapter one says this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to always, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. Verse five, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who have troubled you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day that he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. God, that is powerful that is alive, that is active, that is truth. Lord, I thank you that we can stand foundationally and secure on the truth of your word and what you said and who you are. Lord, I thank you that even when we struggle, even when we experience trials and tribulations and storms in our life, God, that your word is secure. God, forgive us as we waver. Forgive us as we are tossed back and forth by every wind of the world. God, I pray that this morning as we open this letter, Lord, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy wrote, God, but that was undoubtedly penned by your spirit. God, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us individually as your followers and as your children? God, would you speak to those that are far from you, that do not know you as Lord and Savior? God, would you pierce their very heart? And Lord, would you speak to your church? God, would we take these words in this letter, not just a piece of historical information, but something that's alive and speaking to us. God, we invite you into this time. I pray that you enable me to, to clearly communicate what you put on my heart, God, and that you speak to our hearts. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So as Paul starts this letter, I want to point out a few things. The first three verses, uh, it's from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. It says, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's first Thess- or that's 2 Thessalonians, verse 1. If you go back to his previous letter, 1 Thessalonians, it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. These letters are identical and they begin in an identical way. It's the same thing as if you were a mother in here, you got a Mother's Day card, right? Raise your hand if you got a Mother's Day card last week. Okay, I'm looking around making sure. Miss Melanie, uh uh-oh. Okay, so if you got a Mother's Day card in here, your Mother's Day card said the same thing as everyone else with their hand raised. Said you're a wonderful mom. We love you so much. You're the best mom in the world, right? And we know that those things are not true because not everyone can be the best mom in the world. And you get a Mother's Day card every year and you write the same thing in it every year, year after year to honor your mother and to give, to tell your mom how much you love them. And not that there's not truth in that. There is someone who is the best mother in the world, and she is not here this morning, but I'll tell Shay, we all agreed on that. But the spirit of it is the same. Is this letter, is this introduction, as he writes the same thing. He says, to the church in Thessalonians, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three says, we ought to always thank our, thank our God for you. Back to 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter verse 2. It says, we ought to always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. He begins this letter in the same way. And so, and, and it, it veers off after that, but this introduction is very similar between these two letters. And so undoubtedly, this is from Paul. So I want us to look, and we're gonna kind of jump through this, um, this scripture and look at a few things. And so the first thing I want us to notice in this letter, which is true about our relationship with the Lord, and true about our lives as Christ followers is that this letter starts with thanksgiving. It starts with thanksgiving. Verse three says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love you all have for one another is increasing. So Paul begins with thanksgiving. And so I don't know as a Christ follower where you sit with gratitude. As we were talking about it this morning, and and Dustin mentioned we had a time of prayer before the services. We just prayed for people that are in our church that are sick and those kind of on the peripheral of our church that are suffering. And we just interceded and and petitioned for them and and their name on behalf of the Lord. And so as we did that, we started with thanksgiving. And one thing that Jana said as, as we were talking this morning, she said, for me and my faith, and she just testified that like I, my faith in the Lord really deepened when I really understood gratitude and thanksgiving. And she said, once I understood how powerful and how important thanksgiving and gratitude are, it changed things for me. And this is something that if you read scripture or you listen to someone that talks about scripture, this is dead horse right here. That again and again in scripture, it will beat a dead horse with begin with thanksgiving, start with thanksgiving. Old Testament says we enter his courts with thanksgiving. And so that's exactly the way Paul starts here. So I want you to tell you about my week. I had a really bad week this past week. As, as that we all do, we all go through bad weeks. And this past week for me was a bad week. And particularly on Wednesday was a particularly bad day for me. And so it just, it was one of those days that just one after another, things really negative happened in my life or my day. And every one of us has experienced that. And so, um, but it started off with the day, my, my mother-in-law, uh, Shay's mom 
has been, she's been fighting melanoma for 18 months now. And so she had an issue at the start of last year uh, with her reaction that she had during the treatment to where her brain began to swell. And, and it was Barrett and I that took her to the, to, to the ER, and I mean, she dropped off a cliff really fast. Uh, I mean, just her cognitive ability, I mean, we had to get her in a wheelchair, and they ended up air flighting her to MD Anderson. She spent two weeks in ICU. Well, Tuesday night, while Shay and I were at small group, she started getting texts from her dad that her mom began the same process, that again, she started falling off a cliff, uh, and, and she began to really struggle, took her to the ER, and again, she went through the same process. So we got that Tuesday night. Shay was up all night Tuesday night at the hospital. And then she ended up, they, they got her moved via ambulance to MD Anderson. And so that, that Wednesday, I just woke up and, you know, we were worried about that. And then I went and saw uh, one of our elders, Gary Gall, is in the hospital. And, and he's been in the hospital a week now and has this autoimmune issue that's going on with him. And it's attacking his kidneys and his kidneys are shutting down. And here I am and I go to the hospital and I visit Gary, which, you know, I love Gary Gall, which was really fun to see him. But at the same time, you know, my heart's heavy for those two things. So then I rush out of the hospital. I mean, Shay was up all night. We're trying to figure out the thing with her mom. I go to the hospital with Gary. And then I rush out uh, and I go to a meeting that somebody asked, say, hey, do you have time to meet? I said, sure. So I went to this meeting right out of the hospital with Gary. And there, uh, you know, I met and sat with them. They said, hey, we're going we're gonna to leave the vessel. We just feel like, God, you know, we, we want to do something else, which is okay. But for me, you know, I'm like, okay, that's okay. Like, I love you and bless you, and that's, that's wonderful. And then I go out of that meeting, and I get a call from something that I've been praying about uh, to get some news and an update on something I've really been praying for. And, and while it wasn't terrible news, it wasn't great, and it wasn't super encouraging. So we've all had those days. And I got to the end of, of that day, and I was like, man, this sucks. Like, I feel discouraged. I called Shay, and I was just like, babe, I'm just struggling today. And so if you know, Shay does this little Wednesday wisdom every week. And so I hadn't watched her Wednesday wisdom that week. And I watched it right after that. And I went and I I just went to a quiet place and began to do some work. And she talked about praying continuously, being joyful, and giving thanks in all circumstances. And man, it is what I needed. And despite how difficult that day was, I sat down and I I opened my journal and I I began to give thanks. Thank you, Lord, for this. I wrote, thank you for my children. They're so fun. They're really hard as a parent right now, elementary kids, but they're so fun. Man, thank you, Lord, for Shay and for her words that she spoke through this Wednesday wisdom that encouraged me. Thank you for the things that are happening at the vessel. Thank you for uh, Gary and Shay's mom being able to see doctors and be in places. And so I just began to pour out Thanksgiving and it changed my perspective. And that here it was in this really difficult circumstance by giving my heart towards Thanksgiving as an exercise, not because I felt it, not because I felt thankful, but because God's word says, give thanks in all circumstances. And I began to unload some of that. And I began to feel freedom from some of that. And then Thursday, I wake up and Thursday, as as bad as Wednesday was, Thursday was an amazing day. And the truth is, is nothing changed. Shay's mom was still in the hospital. They didn't know what was going on. Gary was still in the hospital. This family that was leaving the vessel still left the vessel, and my news hadn't changed. But if Wednesday was this terrible day, Thursday was this day that was filled with joy for me. And truly, what changed? 
is my perspective. My perspective changed. And despite the difficulty and what I was struggling with, I took a moment to change my perspective and allow the Lord to shed light on the goodness that's in my life. And I want you to know that that's powerful, is that when the Lord calls us to give thanks in all circumstances, to enter his course with thanksgiving, when he starts a letter with we ought to, ought to is a word that says you should, you're required to. That what he's doing by doing that is giving us a gift is that the Lord is doing that so that we can change our perspective. And it's empowering to us as Christ followers. So I want to encourage you, despite where you are, despite the circumstances of the world around you, what you may be going through, take a minute when you're, when you're under that moment and to give thanks to the Lord to write this down. But Thanksgiving is not just for our circumstances and blessings. First uh, Thessalonians chapter five was a scripture that Shay read uh, for her Wednesday wisdom. It says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for your life. And I can look at the circumstances of the world we live in despite difficulty and we can be grateful and thankful that we sit in a gymnasium with, with a roof overhead. I've done church in the bush in Uganda and in the slums of Nicaragua with a tin roof and muddy floors. And man, yeah, we don't have some great sanctuary that's easy and comfortable. We have got to load chairs in, but look at us. We're here and we can worship a Lord in freedom without persecution, without attack. And that is powerful. If you look, like if you've been watching the news and you look at what's going on with Palestine and the Israeli conflict right now, you can look at that and look at your own circumstances and say, you know, we've got so many blessings in our life. And it's not that we just got to find someone that has it worse than us and say, at least I'm not that guy, right? But the same thing is when we change our perspective, when we get so caught up in our own little world and look down at our own feet, we can look at all the bad things or things that aren't going right. But if we look up and we see the blessings in our life, they're powerful. But Thanksgiving is not only for circumstances and for how the Lord's blessing us. Thanksgiving is also for answered prayer. And Paul here in this verse says that we are obligated to do so. When he says we ought to thank God, ought means that it literally translates to to owe something as a debt. It means us as Christ followers, we owe as a debt to our God to give thanks. To give thanks is something that we owe. And Paul is acknowledging an answer prayer. When he says this, when he says, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. This is an answer prayer for Paul. And this is a prayer that he prayed for the church in Thessalonica in his first letter. First Thessalonians chapter one, verses two and three. That's where we are today. We all thank God to you prompted by love. Hold on, there we go. First Thessalonians three, it says, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. If you go back to last chapter, he prayed this for them. He said, I am praying for you, church, and I'm praying that your love grows from one another. And right here, he says, we ought to thank God because your love is increasing and your love is growing. And so we thank God in our circumstances, our blessings, but we've got to give God credit for the prayers that he's answering in our lives. So sure enough, I prayed on Thursday like crazy. I prayed for all the circumstances I was struggling with. And I prayed for Gary and I prayed for Shay's mom. Well, sure enough, we got news Thursday night that they figure out what's going on with my mother-in-law. 
And it's a reaction that she's having to a medicine that she's taking. And what we thought was going to be another two-week stint in the ER at MD Anderson, she's coming home today. And God answered our prayer. Amen. Praise God. Is that what we are praying for happened? Is they figured out what was going on. They took her off that medication that had this certain chemical in it, and her body immediately responded. And so then here we are a day later, and we're FaceTiming with the kids and Nana, and she's coming home, and she's already ready to get out, which is so good. And so I think for us, we've got to remember that we thank God not only for our circumstances, but for answer prayer. On Friday night, Shay went out of town this weekend. So Friday, uh, I told the boys that they could have some friends over um, after school. And so Barrett and Keller both had a friend over and Thatcher came over after school, Dustin's son, and he spent the night. And so we had fun. We watched a movie. I gave them candy. We ate pizza, like the standard thing you do with second grade boys on the sleepover. So we had a great time. And I've, admittedly, I fell asleep and I woke up at midnight I went upstairs and they were still playing video games. I was like, oh, maybe you boys should go to bed. But that next morning, uh, my daughter Sloan had a volleyball game. So we all loaded up and Dustin had something that morning. And so he's like, I'll just pick Thatcher up at the, um, at the, the rec, the, the, the Brush Creek Rec Center where the volleyball game is. So as we're going to the rec center, I tell the boys and Sloan and, and my youngest was in the car. I said, hey, let's, let's pray. Let's thank God for today. Like, what are we thankful for today? And so Keller was, oh man, I'm thankful Thatcher got to come over and spend the night. So we thank the Lord for that and for mom being able to go the way and have a weekend away. We thank God for those blessings and circumstances. And then Keller said, and we thank God for Nana for answering our prayers. And so even in that moment, a car ride, we did both those things. We thank God for the circumstances and the blessings in our life. And we thank him for the answered prayers. And so I wanna encourage you, if you're struggling, if you're at a place where you're feeling discouraged, you're under trial and tribulation to give thanks to God for the things he's given in your life. So Paul continues after this prayer of thanksgiving in verse five, and Paul begins to talk about really not even heaven, but Paul begins to talk about hell. And he says this, he says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel for our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his mind. So the second thing Paul does immediately after giving thanks is he asks them to consider the eternal. And like I said, this is a response letter. And so this is likely a response from a question that the church had from his previous letter. In the previous letter, he talks about the day of the Lord that's coming and what that's gonna look like. And undoubtedly, they had questions about the eternal and about what was, what was coming. And it would be easy as we read this letter to skim over this part to jump over this portion that's talking about hell. Hell is not fun to talk about. It's not fun to teach on, but it's really important that we don't skim beyond this point. As 2 Timothy verse three says, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And right now in the context of the, the, the church, there's a lot of, false teaching, if not false teaching, incomplete teaching that's out there. And heaven and hell is one of those things. Is that there's, there's this exodus from the church and there's people that are leaving the church. And one of the things that they're leaving over is this idea of hell. Uh, that hell is this mean thing, that we shouldn't talk about it, that we should avoid scripture. But Paul clearly talks to them about why this is important. And so 
I want to, I want you to, as we look at this, as we consider the eternal in our own lives and for the sake of the world, I want us to think about why it's important that we don't just jump over things in scripture. Why it's important that when we give ourselves the word that we don't just pick and choose what we like. Because it's, it's, you know, like what we call Bible buffet. It's like going through a buffet line and picking and choosing all the things that you want to pick and choose. So a buffet is a thing like pre-COVID, before COVID, you would go to a place and they have the food, believe it or not, laid out there for you to cough and breathe all over as you went through and get what you want. And as you go through a line, and I don't know if you've ever been to a Luby's, we used to go to a Luby's after church when I was a kid, you get to choose whatever dish that you want. Um, and, but this doesn't work with Scripture. It doesn't work with Scripture the same reason as it doesn't work if I took Thatcher and Keller, my two, two second graders, if I took them to a buffet, why doesn't it work to take them to a buffet? Because they're just going to choose what they want. They're going to get macaroni and cheese and like that pudding, like that pudding dish, and that's going to be it. And so if you ever bring your kid to a buffet, that's what they want. They want all the good stuff, and you have to force them to get a vegetable or a side or something like that. And the reason that that's not good for a kid is because it's an incomplete and it's an unhealthy diet, which is the same as true about the word of God. Is if we just treat God's word like a Bible buffet, what we end up having is an incomplete and an unhealthy diet of his word. First Timothy chapter three says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful. And so this idea that we're just gonna jump over the, the, what the eternal is and this idea of heaven and hell, it's not, it's not a worthy thing. And so just to clarify, Paul, did, Paul clearly tells us what hell is here. He says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you, those who are troubled, and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. This is hell right here. You want to know what hell is? These, this line right here. And shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. That is what hell is. It's eternal separation from the Lord. And so here's a church that is struggling, this church in Thessalonica. They're being persecuted. They've, they've come out and they believed in Jesus Christ. They've given their lives. They've accepted the gospel. They've been born again. And they're under great stress and great persecution. And they're struggling because here are these people and what does it look like and what's next for us? And Paul is encouraging them to say, hey, the Lord is just and, and this is what the eternity looks like for them and from you. And the problem is, is that we don't give the reality of eternity the reverence that it deserves. That too often in our lives, we don't consider what is the eternal, what it looks like for us, and the reverence that it requires. And I know that there's harsh language here. He says, God is just and he will pay back trouble. He will punish those who do not know God, punish with everlasting destruction. But I want you to remember that this is a letter that's written to the church. This is not a letter. Paul didn't write this letter and say, hey, I want you to go out in the street and I want you to read this letter out loud. And I want you to, you know, get on the street corner and everyone that comes by, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. This is terrible. He's not telling them to go and do that. He's giving it to the church so the church can reflect on what eternity looks like. And I want you to remember that that's for us to understand. 
that the message of the gospel is not a message of hell. It's not a message of fire and brimstone and fear. That the gospel is good news. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is one of love, is one of sacrifice, is one of life. Not one of fear and damnation and 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 this terrible place. And so, so often we as Christ followers, we can get that twisted up. We can think that I'm going to stand firm on this idea that I'm eternal and you're not and you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven. That's not our call. And that's not the message that we're supposed to have. But we are supposed to have our eyes and our minds and our hearts set on the eternal. And as we think about this, as we look out there and we look at a world of people that are far from God, and we see the reality of what eternity looks like away from Jesus, it's to move compassion in us, not judgment. That we're not to be moved in a judgmental way. I want you to remember the last thing that Jesus said. Acts 1 verse 8 says, you will be my witness to Samaria, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. That we are called to be witnesses in the court of law that is eternity That is our role, is we are a witness that takes a witness stand, and that's it. You're not the prosecutor. You don't get to prosecute someone on what they're doing or how they're living or or what the decisions they've made. You don't have to defend. You're not the defendant. You don't have to defend Jesus. You don't have to defend eternity. You don't have to be this defendant. You're certainly not the judge, literally, thank God, and you're not the jury that when we stand before the Lord for eternity, that there our eternity, our, our eternity is Jesus. Like if you, if you watch any good movie with someone, the, the person that's being accused, the person that's on trial, what do they do? They shut up and don't talk. They stand when they stand, they sit when they sit, and they answer questions if need be. And their lawyer, their attorney stands on their behalf, and that's Jesus for us. And all we are to do as Christ followers is to be a witness And when you're a witness, all you do is tell the truth about what you've seen and what you've heard. And so as we think about this, as we consider the eternal, I want you to know that that's for us, for our lives. That's not something that we wield, a sword that we wield for those that are far from Christ. And what it's truly supposed to do is it's supposed to make us have compassion for those who are far from Jesus, to give a testimony, to share what we've seen and heard, to love those that are far from Jesus. And so that's what, that's what Paul is doing here. He's writing this church that's really struggling. It's under great persecution. And he's saying, God is just. God is the one that will pass judgment. And those who trouble you will get trouble in return. But he's saying, you don't need to worry about that. That's not yours to take on. That's not your battle to fight. The Lord who is just, the Lord is the one that can pass judgment, not you. To stay strong, to continue going. And then finally, he closes with these last two verses. And it says, ideas, he reminds them to be worthy of the calling that they've received. Last thing he says is to be worthy. He says this in verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. The same thing he says in verse five. Verse five, he says, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. And the truth about our worthiness 
as those who are saved by grace in Jesus Christ have given our lives to the Lord and accepted his life that was poured out on the cross for us, is our worthiness is realizing our reality, not working for it. So when we consider our own worthiness, what it really means is we are to realize our reality, that we are worthy rather than working for that reality. And so he says in verse five, as a result, all this is evidence, all the things that has happened, all that the Lord has done, what Jesus did on the cross, as a result of that, you will be counted worthy. Your worthiness comes from the Lord, not from the life that you live. Again, he says, with this in mind, because of the truth of all these things, because of the truth of eternity, with this in mind, that God's judgment is right and correct and we can trust his judgment, that you will be worthy of the calling, that God may make you worthy of his calling by his power. And so I want you to consider for a moment your own worthiness in Christ. What does it mean that you are worthy of this life in Jesus? And a great example is to think about your children. I have three kids. We have kids in this room. My children, the reality of my kids' life is they, that I am their father and they belong to my family. They are worthy to be my children. They didn't do anything. They didn't earn it. They didn't work hard for it. They don't have to strive for it. I am their father. They are my children. And the truth is the same about us in Christ, is our worthiness is a reality, not something that we work for. And my kids, they don't have to prove themselves worthy to be my children every day. It doesn't matter if they have a good day. It doesn't matter if they have a bad day. It doesn't matter if they're really well-behaved and sweet and fun or they're little terrors that I want to pull their hair out or my hair out. They're still my children. On both of those days, they are my children. They don't fall in and out of my family. The same is true about us and the Lord, is we don't fall in and out of his presence. If we are saved in Jesus Christ, we are worthy because of what he did. And think about that. Like, why do my, then do my children act a certain way? So if we look in Scripture, and Scripture calls us to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received, if we're to live a life worthy, the same thing is look back at your kids. Why do my kids behave well? Why do they listen to me? I mean, some of it is out of fear, I admit, as a parent, right? We leverage fear when we can, right? Because of my wrath, sure, my kids obey us to a certain extent out of that. But truly, they obey and they listen to me as their father out of love because they know that I love them. They don't question that. They don't wonder if my love for them is true. They know that the decisions I make and the things that I tell them to do are out of a place of love, that I care for them, that I don't want destruction to fall upon their doorstep, that I don't, you, you tell them not play in the street. It's not because I'm a mean dad and I don't want them to have fun in the street. It's because I don't want them to get hit by a car because I love them. And they respect and listen to me out of love. And if you've ever been a teacher, you know that to be true. Because you always have kids that are like, who do you think you are? You're not my dad. I'm like, you're right, I'm not, buddy. But it's this truth out of love. And the same is true with us and the Lord. Is that the reason the Lord gives us this life to walk is out of love and out of protection and for us to live this life that's worthy of the calling. So as we close, I want you to consider what is your calling in Christ? 
Ephesians 4, chapter 1 says, As prisoners of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So if you consider your own life, what is the calling that the Lord has given you? What is the life that he's called you to live? And part of it, when we consider worth, is understanding value. Because that's truly what worth is. Is worth is a value placement. I don't know if you ever watch Pawn Stars. Yes? Pawn Stars fan? No? Wow. So thank you, Patty. I watch Pawn Stars on YouTube constantly. And so Pawn Stars, they get these items in that look worthless, like they're these old beat-up things, and then they have to assign them a value and assign them worth to this item based off merit of whatever its significance is, whatever the item is. And it's like classic. They get in there, and it, like, can we just be real? Pawn Stars is not real. But it's great entertainment and great to see all this old, cool stuff. And so they always say, they bring in a book, or they bring in a piece of artwork, or they bring in a gun or, or you know, something that's significant value, and they look at it and like, oh, yeah, this is really cool. He says, he says what? He goes, let me call a buddy. Let me call a friend. Let me call an expert. And they bring in the expert. And why do they bring in the expert? Because the expert knows the value of the item. And when they make a bid and when they pay a price for whatever it is that's brought in, they pay the price that's determined by the expert because the expert knows the value of the item. And the same is true for us in the Lord. We don't have to listen to a world that gives us a value. That our worthiness doesn't go up and down with inflation. That our worth doesn't fluctuate with how we're doing whether we're having a good day like a Thursday or a bad day like a Wednesday, that our worth isn't determined by our job. Our worth isn't determined by how good of a parent we're doing on one day or the other. Our worth is defined by Christ. So when he says, you will be counted worthy. I want you to know that your worth is defined by the Lord, by his blood that was poured out on the cross. That's your worth, not what the world says. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the letter previous that he wrote to this church, he said, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. He's not saying to live a life worthy for you to earn your salvation. He's not telling them that they've got to strive to be able to count it worthy. He's saying that, man, you are bought and paid for and precious. So this is the life that you are to live in Christ. And when we think about our worthiness in Christ, like John the Baptist said, before he came before the Lord, he said, uh, the one who comes after me, whose sandal I am not worthy of to be tied. You don't have to wonder we're not worthy. You haven't lived a life. You can't do enough that's ever going to earn or justify your worth in Christ. It is only because of his, his love. It's only because of his work. So as we consider what it means to be a vessel, it's like we're on Pawn Stars. It's like somebody brings in this beautiful vessel, this beautiful vase, this beautiful bowl, whatever it is, and they put it on the table and they say, what's it worth? He's like, I don't know, it's old and it's kind of rugged and beat up and it's seen better days and a little wrinkly on the edge. But I think it might have some value. And so they call in the expert and they said, this thing is worth, it's, it's priceless. 
So if you have a priceless vessel, what do you put in that thing? We have a mulch bowl that sits in our kitchen that we put coffee grinds and banana peels and we dump it into our compost bin every day. We don't use our best china, right? We use an old, nasty bowl that can be thrown away. So consider your own life. Consider your own worthiness. I'm going to invite Dustin and Jana to come back up, and we're going to close with this song that we sang, which is right here. And I want to read this over you, and I'm going to pray it for you. And as we close, I want you to consider your worth and your value. It says this. What I'd love for you to do is I would love for you to stand. I'm going to pray this over us. And then we'll close with the song. I want you to consider your worth. I want you to consider the eternal in your own life. I want you to consider a heart of gratefulness and of thanksgiving. And I want to remind you that even if you're struggling, that your value and your worth is from the Lord. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and he will give you peace. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.